So we returned this morning after uh, last week, uh, Mark Abernathy was here, and I pray, I hope you're praying about what God would have you to give to our state missions offering. Um, and let's exceed that goal. You know, consistently, we at First Baptist Church, you in your giving, exceed our missions goals. So uh, if you've not done so, pray about what God would have you to give, and let's do that this time. This morning, we return to our series and a legacy of heroes, looking at the roll call of heroes. Roll Call of the Faith we find in the book of Hebrews and chapter 11. Go ahead and pick up your Bible and find with me Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 this time, and hold your place there for just a minute. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Uh, two weeks ago, we had an interlude. We had a pause where we talked about the principle of faith that all of these people hold in common, the people that are in the Roll Call of Faith, the heroes of our faith, they hold this principle in common of trusting God for what they cannot see and believing the promises uh, are on the horizon and God is going to always fulfill those promises. We've learned that they trust in the character of God to fulfill his promises. And, and we continue to see that this morning as we move forward. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We'll pick up in chapter 11, verse 17, returning to Abraham and Abraham's story, one of the best known uh, episodes in all of the Bible and in biblical history in this story of Abraham. And we're going to unpack a very basic fact, a very basic truth, and how God responds to this truth, what, what he wants us to learn. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it is. It's very simply that very often when you are obedient to God, when you are trusting God for what you cannot see and you are moving forward in faith, very often you will encounter a problem. And it's what you do next that matters. It's how you see that problem that matters. Do you see it from God's perspective? Or do you see the problem from your perspective? From the perspective of the circumstances? Or do you see it from God's perspective? See, very often we encounter problems. We're following God in faith. We, we embrace His promise. But by embracing that promise, we actually encounter problems. We did not expect. Why does that happen? And what does God want us to learn from that? That's what we're going to look to in just a minute. But keep this in mind first. Sometimes the problem is the way you see the problem. And our objective is always to see our problems, to see our circumstances from God's point of view, from God's eye view, not from our eye view, but from God's perspective and God's eye view. I was reminded of the value of this as I, as I picked up uh, a story that I've kept for a while. Uh, the uh, chief operating officer of the Ritz-Carlton hotel chain uh, likes to tell a particular story. And apparently it's been, been embedded in the culture of Ritz-Carlton for quite a while. But it goes something like this. He said, at one time at one of the Ritz-Carlton hotels, there was a problem. And the problem uh, the, was presented this way, that guests were getting their breakfast cold and sometimes even old. The eggs were cold, the toast was hard, they were inconvenienced, they were angry, and occasionally guests would have to check out and leave without the breakfast they had ordered to come to the room. If they'd ordered room service for breakfast, that's what they expected. They expected good eggs and good toast and, and, and good sausage or bacon, but that's not what they were getting. So uh, the CEO tells the story this way. He says, now under most circumstances, this is what would happen in any other hotel and probably in most organizations that the man at the top or the woman at the top, the, the, whoever was the manager of the moment, would call together his staff 
And he would reprimand them for this problem. You need to fix this problem. Find out what's wrong and fix this problem. And his staff in turn would call together their staff, mostly the kitchen staff, because evidently that was where the problem was coming from, and reprimand that staff and tell them this was their problem and they needed to fix this problem. And probably down the line this would continue to cascade until somebody looked behind them and nobody was there to reprimand. But he said, that's not how we handle problems. He said, instead, when we learned of this problem in one of our hotels, we took time out to study the problem. We actually investigated the process and the people, and we went to the kitchen, and what we found out was the cooks were cooking on time, and the breakfast was getting out hot and ready to go. And then we found out that the wait staff was picking up the breakfast on time. It was not the kitchen's fault. It was not the wait staff's fault. None of them should have been reprimanded in the first place. So what was the problem? Well, they dug a little deeper and they found out that somewhere over there, the manager of housekeeping, just a few months before this problem occurred, the manager of housekeeping had told his staff they needed to save money on towels and linens. So they needed to stop using so many towels and linens on every floor. Instead, they needed to wash the ones they had more often. So by that directive, what was happening is the housekeeping staff was using the service elevators more and more and tying them up. So when breakfast was ready and the wait staff picked up the breakfast, they couldn't get a service elevator to take it upstairs to the guests on the floor. It had nothing to do with the kitchen staff and nothing to do with the wait staff. It had to do with a decision that was made way down here. How'd they solve the problem? They bought more linens and towels. They restocked everything, and then everybody was happy. The COO says they use that example consistently now in training to remind people that if you misunderstand a problem, you won't get the right solution. And sometimes the problem is how you see the problem. The Bible teaches that we should be seeing our problems from God's perspective. Not from just ground level, because from ground level, we, we approach it with the wrong solution. But if we see it from God's perspective, we see God at work in our problem. And sometimes, sometimes, the very fact you were following God in faith means you'll have a problem. Let's, let's state it another way. When you're trusting God for what comes next, very often you know the what you just don't know the how. You know the what God wants you to do. You know even where God might be sending you, what God uh, is doing, but you don't know how he's going to get there, how he's going to get it done, and you don't know how he's going to solve a particular problem. We can use Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a perfect example. You remember the Christmas story in the Bible when the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary, and he told Mary, he's all excited, and he said, blessed are you, God is going to give you a child, and that child is going to be the Savior of the world. That's great news. That's the what. That's what God's going to do. Mary responded with a problem. How can that happen when I have never been with a man? That's an excellent question, isn't it? So the angel answered it. God already knows how he's going to solve that problem. God's going to do this himself. He created you, and he's going to use the method he created to create and make this baby in your womb, the Savior of the world. God's going to do it. 
You might know what the what is, but sometimes you look at the how and you say, I've got a problem. I'm not sure what happens next. And, And following God in faith, sometimes we bump right into a problem that's generated by the fact you are following God in faith. But what God wants to do is to present to you a God-sized solution. Just like he did for Mary. God already knows how he's going to solve the problem. Put that away in your pocket this morning. God already knows how he's going to solve that problem. Because he's leading you. He's guiding you. He already knows what he's going to do. We return this morning then to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. In three verses, the Bible here summarizes one of the great events of Scripture uh, that take pl- takes place, it's the, the event itself is actually recorded in Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to toggle between these two chapters just a little bit this morning. But we'll start with Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. And this is what the Bible says. By faith Abraham, there we are, we pick up that recitation of by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises And yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Verse 17 starts this way. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. That when, the little word when, means that this is a well-known event. And it is. Every Christian, every Jew in the ancient world knew what this was talking about. It's in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. Repeats this statement almost exactly. The Bible says in Genesis 22, 1, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. God tested Abraham. Genesis 22 says, When God tested Abraham, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now, clear the word test is is kind of important there. What does it mean? That particular word translated as test means that God was testing the character of Abraham, was confirming and validating the character of Abraham. What was it about his character God wanted to find out? He wanted to find out if Abraham would trust God's character. Beyond what Abraham could see, would Abraham trust God's character? Even when a problem arose that Abraham himself couldn't solve, but would would Abraham trust God's character? Was his character such that now his faith had grown that he would believe God for what he could not see, even when a problem arose that seemed to conflict with the promise and the direction of God himself? What was that problem? Well, let's, let's remember the story in Genesis 22. Uh, one of the best-known stories in the Bible, God comes to Abraham. After Abraham and Sarah have been following God quite some time, God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to get up in the morning, and I want you to take your son Isaac to a place called Moriah, to one of the mountains that I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice your son there to me, your one and only son. Now you'll recall the whole, the promise that God had made to Abraham and Sarah is they would have a son and that son would begin a lineage of a great people that would bless all nations. And here God is telling Abraham to go and sacrifice that same son on an altar. 
The Bible says in Genesis 22, God got, uh, Abraham got up the next morning. He saddled up his donkey. He took his servants with him. He took Isaac with him. And they took a three-day journey to Moriah. And that's when he stopped the servants. He said, stay here. We will be back. We're going up on that mountain. And the Bible says God took, uh, Abraham took Isaac to the mountain to sacrifice him and was about to do that when God stopped his hand, confirmed his faith, provided for him a ram to sacrifice in Isaac's place. What we have in Hebrews chapter 11 is a three-verse summary of what all that meant. It's a three-verse summary of God's perspective on the events that took place in Genesis chapter 22. By faith, when he was tested... God tested his character, took his son up to the mountain to sacrifice his son. Abraham did not know the how. How was it that he was going to sacrifice his son, but God was going to fulfill his promise of their one and only son being the bloodline for a great nation? How could that happen? He knew the what, he didn't know the how. The very fact that he was believing God for that promise created a problem when God asked for his obedience. Now that happens sometimes. You may think God is calling you to do something. Pastor Mike said earlier, talked about missions earlier. God may put it on your heart to participate in missions. Maybe in this county, maybe across the street, maybe in state missions somewhere. God is calling you out to take a mission trip. But, but, but being obedient to that and trusting God for that immediately creates a problem. What do I do about my job? Uh, how do I satisfy my finances? Will God take care of this? Will God take care of that? It's very common that when we know God has something on our hearts, doing what God is asking us to do might very well generate a problem. What we need to always remember is God already has a solution to that problem. I want you to go back to the story for a few minutes. I want you to see with me uh, three things we need to remember, but they're actually stages along the way. And these, are, these commonly recur in our walk of faith, these three stages, these three things to remember. So look at this with me for just a moment back in Hebrews chapter 11. The first thing to remember is that God establishes a promise. That's the first stage, the first step, and that is where we anchor our faith. We anchor our faith in the promises of God. Because as we've learned, as we know, because of his character, God will not go back on his promises. All of his promises in the word of God are based on him, his character, not on you and me. They are based on him. And when God establishes a promise, God will always fulfill that promise. That's your anchor to your faith. That, that's, where, that's your starting point. God promises, God's promise always comes first. We read that Abraham received the promises. Why do we start there? We start there because God's promises always comes first. He establishes that promise. He lets you know he's faithful to that promise. He lets you know he will always, he will always fulfill that promise. So after that, your obedience comes. Your obedience comes next. His promise comes first. Your obedience comes next. We read twice that Abraham followed through in obedience. He offered up Isaac, and then we read he was offering his one and only son. Now, those two phrases sound different intentionally. He offered Isaac 
is uh, grammatically a one-time absolute decision. He made a decision and followed through with it. He offered Isaac. And then the next one says he was offering Isaac. That means he kept on all the time offering Isaac. What that means is at that moment, depicted in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham followed through in faith and offered his son Isaac, he, he, followed, he said, yes, I will obey God. I don't know the how. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know this is what God wants me to do. I will obey God. From that point forward, he was consistently offering Isaac consistently letting go of Isaac, consistently letting God do what God wanted to do. And that's precisely God's point at that moment in the story. Think about this. There are things you hang on to that prevent you from following through in your faith commitment. There are people you refuse to deal with in your life, relationships that God has already told you you need to let go of or someone you need to forgive or they need to forgive you, bitterness in your life, impatience in your life, whatever it is, habits in your life, but you hold on to those rather than offer them up. Romans chapter 12 says, to present your bodies a living sacrifice and Paul's language there is like the language here all the time. You are all the time surrendering yourself. And all those habits, all those behaviors, all the things you hold dear, all your finances, all of your family, all of your housing, all those things you hold dear, you offer up to God. You make that decision and then you continually offer that to Him. Your next step is faith and obedience. God's made a promise we receive and embrace that promise, as Abraham did. Then we take action on that. We follow through. Our next step is to obey, to trust God, and trust Him with all that we have, trust Him with the problem, trust Him with the how, trust Him with everything that's in front of you, and you know that God will take care of that. Second then, God knows the problem. So God establishes a promise, and that promise is your anchor for obedience. So then we see that God knows the problem. Not only does God know the problem, God describes the problem to Abraham. We read it in chapter 11, yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And yet means, I can't believe this, and yet, even so, God said to offer Isaac, the one that God already said would be the son, the one and only son of Abraham and Sarah through whom the bloodline of the nations would come. God's people would come through him. And that's the very one. It's as if, as if the writer wants to say, don't make any mistake about this. They didn't have any extra children. This is the one. And this is the one that God told Abraham to sacrifice that day. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2 echoes this moment. Take your son, God said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Why is it that God consistently repeats who Isaac is? It's so that Abraham will know that God knows the problem. God knows the problem. The problem is God has made a promise. God never goes back on his promise. God has made a promise that they would have a son and through that son a great nation would come. And yet God also now has asked Abraham to sacrifice that same son. 
If you ever wonder, you know, well, God, now I've been following you in faith and I've bumped up against this problem. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know. I don't know what to do next. And you think, well, is God sitting there thinking, well, I had no idea that would happen. No, God knows the problem. God knows the problem. So why does God call for us to, to follow him into those situations? Why would God permit those problems to arise when we're following him in faith. The reason is so you can see a God-sized solution. God's not interested in you and me seeing what we can do. God wants us to see what he can do. And God wants us to be reminded that God always has a solution to those problems of faith. If he is leading us forward, he knows what comes next. He always has a solution to those problems of faith. And that brings us to the third thing to remember. God provides a solution. God provides a solution. God's provision always means he is preparing for you to arrive where he's leading you. And he is providing a solution for the problem that you encounter, that problem that you think is insurmountable, that problem that seems to say what well, conflicts with what God is asking you to do. No, God makes it clear. He, he knows what the problem is. So God provides a solution. Uh, still in Genesis 22, if you have that open, verse 5, we read that Abraham said to his young men, that is his servants, stay here with the donkey, the boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. And notice that. Then we'll come back to you. We're going to go over there to worship, meaning that's where I'm going to sacrifice my son. He didn't say that to his servants. Abraham knew about the conversation with God. Even Isaac didn't know about the conversation with God at this point. But he said, we're going over there up on that mountain to worship and we will come back to you. Both of us will come back to you. Now, there's only two reasons that Abraham would have phrased it that way. We will come back to you. One reason would be he had no intention of sacrificing Isaac. He was just going through the motions, hoping at some point God would stop him before he had to disobey and say no. But in his mind, he was thinking, there's no way. When I get up there, I'm sacrificing my son. We are both coming back. That's a... That's one option, but it's not the right option. The right option is that Abraham is so committed to follow through, he believes God for a God-sized solution. Hebrews chapter 11 investigates what Abraham was thinking, actually reveals to us what Abraham was thinking at this moment. Look at verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says, Abraham considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Park on that phrase, he considered God. The phrase means Abraham took time to reason what God was doing. He thought about it. He reflected on it. And he reflected on the character of God. See, this kind of faith, your faith that trusts God for what you cannot see, is not some blind faith. It's not some, oh, I hope this works out okay faith. Your faith is based on the character of God. And the better you know God, the better you can reason out that God's at work. The better you can trust Him for a solution to the problem. If you don't know God, if you've not been in His Word, that's why you're struggling so much. But see, Abraham had spent time with God. Abraham knew the character of God and reasoned considered, thought through it this way. Well, if both things are true, if both things are true, God has a God-sized solution to this problem. Why? First of all, God made a promise. 
His promise is that my son Isaac would be the first of the descendants of a great nation. God never goes back on his promises. That was God's promise. That's my anchor, Abraham's thinking. Secondly, God has called me to obey him no matter what. And doing so, I can trust the character of God that he is always faithful. So if God has called me to do something that in my mind conflicts with the promise, the truth is God already has a solution planned. God provides a solution. And watch where Abraham went with that. Here's his first solution. God can raise Isaac from the dead. Wow. Yeah. If God so chooses, God can raise Isaac from the dead. And he he gets this because he understands there is no way God will go back on the original promise. By his very nature, by his character, God will fulfill the promise. So if Isaac dies... The only resolution Abraham sees, the God-sized resolution Abraham sees, is that God will raise Isaac from the dead. It's not hard to see when we read the story itself, especially in Genesis 2, and now in Hebrews 11, the understanding, the grasp of the story from God's point of view. It's not hard to see that this whole story foreshadows Christ and what Christ would do for us. The ram in the thicket, that is the substitute of Isaac's sacrifice, reminds us that Christ would be our substitution on the cross. He would sacrifice himself for you and for me. And right there, Abraham's reasoning and Abraham's words and Abraham's understanding of God foreshadow the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Both of those things are fulfilled in Christ. The the sacrifice as a substitution for us and the resurrection of of Jesus Christ that proclaims our resurrection as well. And Abraham, thousands of years before Christ would come, knew that God could do such a thing. And because he trusted God to provide a solution to the problem he encountered because of his faith, he got to see a God-sized solution to the problem. Imagine that moment. Well, let's just back up a moment. Imagine Three nights before, the night God told him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. The Bible says the next morning he got up and went. What was that night before like? The struggle, the emotions of knowing the next day he would saddle up and take his son to Moriah to a mountain to sacrifice him. That he would go through with it because he decided that night, he reasoned that night that God would not go back on his promise. That he had already given his son to God. He'd already offered him up and would continue to do that. Isaac belongs to God. Not to Abraham or Sarah. God could do whatever he liked. And then imagine the moment when he raises his knife and he looks in his son's eyes and his son knows what's about to happen. But trust his father who trusts God. And a voice calls out and says, stop. I know now you have faith in me. And they hear the rustling of the ram in the thicket. And with praise and adoration, Abraham pulls that ram out of the thicket, frees his son and sacrifices in worship to God. Because now he knows God always has a solution to every problem. And God wants us to see what he can do, not what we can do, 
He wants us to believe in that God-sized solution. When God calls you out and you obey, you might bump into some things you never thought were coming, but trust the one who sees it. Trust the one who has a solution to that problem. Sometime back, a 61-year-old grandmother, widow, uh, named Sarah Lindgren, a resident of Woodbury, Minneapolis, was in the Walmart buying groceries, and she had along with her one of her several children and grandchildren uh, who she took care of since her husband had passed away 15 years prior. She had been the main breadwinner, the, the head of the household for kids and grandkids, and, and her 18-year-old daughter, Danielle, was with her that day, and Danielle has autism. So even shopping at Walmart was, was quite a challenge. And she was checking out her groceries when she realized that she had just ran out of money and she still had not purchased the meat she had promised her family she would cook that night for dinner. And she made a split-second decision. And she put that meat in the grocery bag and she headed out the door and was stopped by a Walmart employee. She was taken back to the office. She and her her daughter, Danielle, who was now sobbing in fear, and they were seated in the office, and officer, police officer Wagner was called from the Woodbury police, and, and he showed up, and he talked to the Walmart officials, and he, and he talked to Sarah, and he went out to his squad car, and he, he brought her up. He did a background check on her, and he would later say, she was cleaner than I was. She'd never done anything wrong in her life. He, he said, I've got speeding tickets, and she doesn't have any. But even so, Walmart insisted that he write a citation as he was obligated to do. So he wrote her a citation. She had to leave that meat behind, and he sent her home. And she'd been home about a, an hour, hour and a half. Danielle had finally calmed down, and she got a phone call from Officer Wagner. And Officer Wagner said, can I come by the house? And she immediately thought, I'm going to jail. This, this is getting worse and worse. How can, when, and what are my kids going to do? What are my grandkids going to do? But she consented and said, yes, you can come to the house. And in just a few minutes, a patrol car pulls up to the house. Officer Wagner gets out. His passenger seat, his back seat, and his whole trunk were full of groceries. Uh, when he had left Walmart, he had gone to a Christian food bank and he had filled up his car. He had told them the story of the, of the widowed grandmother who, who was uh, needing to take care of her whole family and what had happened to Walmart. And they brought out boxes and bags and boxes and bags and they filled up his squad car, the, the back seat, the passenger, the trunk, the whole thing. And, he, and they, as they unloaded all of that, Sarah would later say, I felt completely overwhelmed and listen to this, completely undeserving. She said, I even said to him, why are you doing this for me? I broke the law. I, I don't deserve this. I broke the law. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I've got one more thing to tell you. I called Walmart back and we agreed to tear up your citation. When you put your trust in the one who's in charge, you just never know what he's going to do. Isn't that right? Because he already knows how he's going to provide for you. He already knows what comes next. And he already knows how to solve the problem you just bumped into. You think it's brand new. God just wants, to see, wants you to see him work in your life. So the question today is, will you trust him with that problem? Will you trust him? 
that he has a solution and he can provide a solution, probably one you, you, would, you would not have thought of on your own. But if you'll sit down, if you know his character, you know his word, you trust it completely, you know that God's going to do what only God can do in your life because he wants you to know he'll take care of you no matter what. So if you're believers in Christ, if you bumped into that kind of problem, you can know that God's already working. He already knows the solution. He already knows what comes next. Will you trust him today with it? And if you're holding on to things that are hindering your faith, will you give that to him today and every day and always say, God, I belong to you, so everything in my life belongs to you. And I'll trust you with everything. And then watch what he'll do. He'll provide for you. He'll guide you. He'll use you to bless other people. Just watch what he can do because that's what he wants to do. Then maybe you're in this room or at home. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You never have. And part of it's the reason because you have a problem in your life that you think is insurmountable. You do. It's a sin in your life. It's a habit. It's a behavior. It's, it's, it's that thing in your life, that problem that you can't get around. But do you realize today that God has already told you he has a solution to that problem? It's Jesus. God has sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, raised him from the grave, so that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you can be forgiven of your sins. Don't, don't try to be perfect to come to God. He already knows who you are. He's just waiting for you to come in faith and to trust him today. I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm going to pray for believers. I'm going to pray for those of you that are online. I pray for these, those of you who have never trusted Christ as your Savior. And I want to invite you to pray in your heart to the Lord, to surrender to Him whatever holds you back, whatever problem you face, to surrender to Him whatever you're worried about today, and to trust Him for what comes next, to trust, trust Him with that solution. And if you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to pray a simple prayer in just a moment, a prayer to help you put your faith in Jesus today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you know our burdens, our cares, our concerns. You know, God, what you're calling us to trust you for, what the what problems we bumped into, Father, what we're wrestling with that we won't surrender. God, you know all these things. So to believers in Christ today, God, and with us all, I pray, Father, you would show us that. And God, in faith, that we would surrender that to you. We would surrender that, that habit, that problem, that concern, that burden, that worry, God, we'll give that to you, God. We believe you for your answers and for your solutions. And Father, if there's someone here at home that's never trusted Christ as their Savior but would do that today, I pray, God, that they would echo this prayer in their own hearts, Father, to trust Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. Jesus, I ask you forgive me of my sins. In faith, I ask you would come into my life Cleanse me, forgive me, I repent of my sins, and from this day forward, I will follow Christ. Father, whatever decisions we have made today, I pray, God, we would take those next steps of faith to follow Jesus, and it's in his precious name we pray.